0: Hi, Pastor John here. Glad you could join us today. Let me ask you a question. Does our faith get us a ticket into heaven and not much else? In other words, are there tangible right now blessings in being a follower of Christ? Well, on our sermon today from Psalm 91, we tackle the question, does faith count only in eternity? For those of you listening online, we've had some technical problems this morning. I think they got ironed out, so you can now hear what we're doing as well as see what we're doing on april 21st uh the warnton pregnancy center is having its annual gala some of you have been there with kelly and i we're hosting a table again this year if you're interested in joining us at the gala it's a great time uh great food we've got auctions all sorts of things going on let me know we've got at least uh eight seats at our table I'd love to have you join us uh, pam Stenzel. An adopted woman uh, who has a lifelong ministry to women in crisis and to young girls in crisis is going to be our speaker. If you have any questions, let me know. Uh, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And show him my salvation. Word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Somebody once told me that I was destined for glory. And I like that. And I said, but but my life isn't very glorious right now. Oh, no, 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 no. You have to wait. You have to wait for the glory. And I went, well, how long do we have to wait? I was a new Christian only believed in God for about 10 or 15 years. <laughs> but that was my question. Does faith does faith only count in eternity? Do we got to wait for the end for the good stuff? I mean, it, it, does God expect us to be miserable while we're here and then kind of cash in at the end? I think those are valid questions. I think some of you are already pondering the answer and you're probably right. But we're going to take a look at this today. Last week we heard that God's presence is a vital element in the church gathering and that making it a vital element in, in our individual lives as well. So we have to walk this stuff out. This week we're going to go a little deeper into that theme. Psalm 89 through 91 should be read together. They're not all by the same author, uh, but I believe they're divinely inspired and divinely placed. Um, by the way, uh, you know that Psalm 91, that title, not inspired. You don't go back to the original writings and say, oh, here's Psalm 91. <laughs> Okay, so these were written as letters, as poems, kind of a hymnal. Uh, just, Just a little aside for you. So Psalm 89 is a description of God's people who have fallen away from him. They've turned their backs once again, and they're suffering the consequences. Jerusalem is in ruins. The kingdom is in shambles. Marauders are going all over the place. They're pillaging cities. They're even robbing Jerusalem whose walls are crumbling and there are gaps in them. And they've even gone in and and sacked the temple, which is rapidly deteriorating. You know, all you have to do to gauge uh, Israel's spiritual health in the Old Testament is see what the temple looks like. Psalm 90 is a bit of an admission of guilt so, eighty-nine says, "Look, here's what the situation is." Psalm ninety uh, is like, "Okay, uh, the Jews are in this position because they've fallen away, and they've forgotten, they've they've neglected their eternal destiny, and and uh, and they come to the realization that life is short." In Psalm ninety, and it can be incredibly difficult, and even more so if they're trying to live apart from God. So Psalm 91 seems to be a response to Psalm 90. Together, all three represent the reality of our lives even today. Because we can get consumed with our circumstances. We can get consumed with the political, military, national situation. It's easy to take our eyes off the Father. And the only hope that we have in any of this is in our relationship with our Creator. And he promises us eternal peace. I mean, if you take a look at the situation with Israel, it may may be quite some time ago. You know, we're talking about somewhere around 3,000 years ago. But it's the same situation. We're arguing over boundaries and who's in control and what party's running things and so on and so forth. That, That just doesn't change. And and as they get consumed with that and take their eyes off their father in heaven and the calling, which is to be a blessing in all nations, they, they begin to slide backwards. So Psalm 89 laments the political military situation. Psalm 90 reminds us of the importance of being aware of the fleeting days of life and the fact that it can sometimes be tough and Psalm 91 comes in and reminds us that God's presence his presence among us makes the difference between between joy and futility without God there's no different deliverance without God there's really no meaning And in God, we find meaning, we find the solution to the futility of life, and we also find something more valuable than either of those, which is deliverance. So the title of our sermon today is, I Will Deliver You, God's Words. So in, in our passage, we're going to see three earthly blessings of faith, what comes from our faith. We'll see the fruits of our faith in verses 1 through 10. We will see the friends of our faith in 11 through 13, and we'll see the fellowship of our faith in 14 through 16. So let's take a look at these fruits, starting with with verse 1. Now, there are two voices in this psalm, and it helps when you know that the voices are changing. That's not always there in your notes in your Bible, uh, but the first voice is the psalmist, and he's, he's our poet, our author, and he'll be speaking in verses 1 through 13. And 14 through 16, we'll hear from God himself. Number one, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Now, keep in mind the turmoil that God's people are going through. Enemies are all around. All around. They're being taken advantage of, losing their identities. Some are losing everything. Even more are dying. So verse 1 actually links Psalm 91 to Psalm 90 because they both kind of start out the same way. So the the psalmist calls the Most High, in recognition of authority there, a shelter, uh, a place of safety, a place of peace. And these people need safety. They need peace right now. He says, he who lives in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, he's evoking some imagery here. Uh, they also live in the shadow, the the, the shadow, the protection, the safety of being close to God, the most powerful being in all creation, God who has sovereign authority over everything. And that's what they need right now because they're kind of helpless in and of themselves. They're being defeated left and right. So what we see here is just a simple statement of faith, psalmist has gone from psalm 89 recognize the fallen and perilous nature of god's people to psalm 90 admitting that they brought a lot of it on themselves they're responsible for it by not depending not trusting god and now he states his faith in god and this is a letter a song to all god's people he wants him to sing this and and he says that god will protect us he will preserve his own if just we will turn back to him And verse 2, he says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, he's kind of doubling down here. And we got a summary of of his confession of faith. Regardless of how dreadful the circumstances are, he's going to trust God. And again, keep in mind, it's supposed to be a song. There would be a melody here sung by God's people intended to remind them of who God is where they came from, and what their relationship is to him. And the song, this is the beautiful part of this, the song is inspired by God himself. He inspired the words. There's not The psalmist isn't just making this up. No, we had no membership class. We just talked about the doctrine of inspiration somehow. Somehow, God, using the personalities and the consciousness of the authors that he's chosen, God inspires these words to rise up on their papyrus. Scroll, they didn't have, they didn't have tablets back then. Not the type of tablets we have. It, it, it's supernatural. It's miraculous. Without subventing the conscious personality of the writer, God inspires him to write this. So God gives us these words. And if if we see it that way, all three Psalms taken together, they're a little love letter from God. They're not chastisement. It's God saying, look what's what's happened. In, In 89, he said, look around you, see what's happening. You fell away from me. Your time is short. Turn back to me while you still can. Psalm 90. And here are the blessings that you will enjoy when you turn back to me. Psalm 91. And our writer anticipates that there's going to be some fruit in his life from this trust in his creator. Verse 3, it says, For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Now, the you here is plural. Everybody who... Uh, turns and trusts in him will be delivered from the snare of the fowler. Deadly pestilence. I used to think I didn't have to worry too much about snares of the fowlers. I didn't spend too much time in the woods. And I thought, deadly pestilence? Well, that's all gone. That was a long time ago, I thought that. (laughs) So the psalmist makes reference. He's trying to tell the Jews something. He's saying, look at the danger you're in. I mean, you're surrounded by this, and there's nothing you can do about it. What are you going to do? I, I'm the snare of Fowler. Maybe, maybe you can you can avoid that. But I mean, they're hidden. They they kind of jump out at you when you least expect it, and but deadly pestilence. What are you, you going to do against it? So there, there's danger in your life. There are dangers from traps dangers from marauding enemies, dangers from uh, filth and disease caused by broken and destroyed irrigation systems and cracked cisterns and spoiled food due to shortages and, and robbery. That's what these people are living in. They're living in these traps and and this pestilence. And and he says, God will deliver you from that. In verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. God's going to protect his people from these things. Well, I like that. Does that mean that if we trust in God... We'll never come to any harm. We'll never have a bad day. We'll never suffer loss or pain or grief. No. We can't just take this verse and go, oh, God promised this, so I'll just put a smiley face on everything. We have to look at the full counsel of Scripture. We're going to get sick, and we're certainly going to die. It doesn't mean that. Of course, it doesn't mean that. All you have to do is read the whole Bible to see that some of us are going to endure the very things that we're talking about here. But what the psalmist is trying to say, and we're going to make it clear shortly, is that we shouldn't be afraid of these things. They shouldn't bother us. They shouldn't keep us up at night. Verse 5, you will not fear... The terror of the night. Have you ever prepared yourself to go to bed with something that was heavy on your heart and on your mind? And you can't sleep? And you're tossing and you're turning? (laughs) Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night and heard a noise that sounded a little different? And you're lying there in the darkness, you're wondering what it is. We understand terror in the night. What about the arrow that flies by day? Verse 6, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. This is a bleak picture. These are all the things that can happen to you in life. There's no need to fear nightmarish encounters. There's, they're, whether they're physical or whether they're spiritual there's no need to fear attacking armies plagues that come out of nowhere everybody's wearing masks and staying inside nothing can decimate that, that, that can decimate the population even even when it looks hopeless it look a thousand may fall at your side verse 7 Ten thousand in your right hand but it will not come near you if i'm standing in the middle of the battle and everybody's dying around me my assumption is that i'm going to go too God says, you don't have to be afraid of that. It doesn't have to paralyze you. It doesn't have to consume you. It doesn't have to occupy every waking moment that you have. Trust me. Put your focus on me. That fear, that fear will go away. Verse 8, you will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Now we're talking about Judgment Day. True believers will look on and see its inevitable conclusion. They're going to watch as those who are wicked are cast into the lake of fire. Why are they going to do that? Verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. You live in and through him. The Most High, who is my refuge. We keep seeing this word over and over and over again. The refuge, the one we run to, the one we bow before, the one we trust to protect us, to preserve us, our refuge no evil shall be allowed to befall you, verse 10 says. No plague come near your tent. This, this is the promise to, of God to his people, their deliverance, the fruit of their faith, the byproduct of their faith. When all who oppose God wind up paying for their rebellion, wind up suffering the consequences of their sin, God's people will be safe living in a refuge protected by the most formidable fortress ever created anywhere in all creation and that fortress is god's love and god's favor so there's the fruit there's a the fruit of faith deliverance protection preservation Meanwhile, while we wait for that judgment day, we receive help. We, we, we receive assistance from... I'm calling it friends because I needed an F. Okay? Who are these friends? Look at this, verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, the writer is describing heavenly help, spiritual help, spiritual assistance. God is going to task angels to guard us in all of our ways, to help us in how we live out this trust that we're going to have in him. They will assist us in traversing the obstacles of life. They're here to help keep us from stumbling in our walk, to help keep us on the narrow path of God's will and God's purpose in our lives. They're there. They're, you, you, have, you, you ever been to a bowling alley? <laughs> and if you're not really good at bowling, what do you do? They bring out those runners they put in the, in the gutters so that your ball won't go in the gutter. And so you can just roll the ball down the alley and it'll eventually hit the pins, hopefully with enough force to knock a few down. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's the angels. They're, they're those, those things in the gutter that keep your ball from going off track. So God says, I'm going to send his help to you. You're going to have this help. Look, well, can we take that literally? I mean, it, it, is that what's going to happen? The angel's going to pluck me out of the car before it goes over the cliff. And, you know, if it's in the movies, it will shortly explode. The... Uh, is this literal? Well, you know, perhaps, I mean, we worship a God of miracles. Amen. Uh, God can do anything he wants to do. Somebody said, asked me, said, well, where are you on the gifts, John? I said, you "Well, know, God can do anything he wants to do. He's a healer. He's a teacher. He's a rescuer. Uh, I mean, he made all this by speaking it into existence. He can change it. Amen. I mean, that's what miracles are. They're things that don't really conform to our understanding of reality. So, yeah, yeah, that, that could happen. But, then, you know, the question is, can we depend on that? Can we depend on it? So, we need to be careful not to find ourselves testing God in these things. Uh, I mean, isn't that what Satan tried to do with Jesus in the wilderness? Tempting him while he is out there and hungry, and he's been out there for 40 days? Trying to get Jesus to take the scriptures literally. And what he's trying to, what the psalmist is trying to say is, is made clear in the next verse you will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Again, he's using imagery here. Nearly every time we see wild animals in the Psalter, that's the book of Psalms, the Psalter, they're metaphors. So here we see dangers from natural forces, from hindrances, from lions and adders, serpents, from would-be enemies, dangerous enemies. We're all promised that we will trample these dangers underfoot. In other words, we can have victory over them, victory over anything that would hinder our walk with our Father in heaven. Now, it has to be taken in context. Because it's victory over anything that would hinder our walk with our Father in heaven. It's not victory over the lottery. It's not victory over the fact that I didn't put all in my car and now the engine seized. So we don't want to test God. But God promises that he'll give us helpers. He will give us these friends to remind us that victory is part of our lives. Remind us that if we trust in him, that we can live the victorious life. And rather than reading that as something in the material world, we can live a sanctified life, a holy life. Look what happens when we do this. We end up with a divine fellowship of the faith. Starting with verse 14, now, now, now we hear God speak. God has been speaking through the psalmist to his people. Now he speaks directly to all of us. Verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, that he is plural, all those who hold fast to him in love. I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. God says because the author, the people he's writing to, everybody who trusts him, holds fast. The word here means to be bound, to be attached to, to be clinging desperately to. Because they are attached to him. When God's children attach themselves to him, watch what happens. He delivers them. He will protect them. And the word for protect here has the connotation of securing Do you realize what he's saying here? In a very real way, to those who attach themselves to God, he will attach himself to them. Do you want that in life? To be attached to God and him attached to you? The path is through Jesus Christ. And, And he says he's going to do this. Why? Because they know his name. Listen, this goes far beyond the fact that, gee, I just saw your label and your name's John. We all know that names mean something different to the Jews, don't they? They are the essence of who that person is. They reveal his character and nature. God assigns names because they have meaning. And the reason he does that is so that we would know that his name has meaning. When he says, because he knows my name, is because he's familiar with who I am. He's familiar with my character and nature. He's familiar with how I interact with my creation. He's familiar with my word. And when we know him that well, verse 15, when he calls me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And there we have the greatest blessing of any fellowship we will ever have in life is salvation. Arising from a relationship with our Father in heaven children know his voice, his word, and he responds to them. He hears their cries, and he will satisfy them. Another thing we have to be careful with, you know, if I'm praying for a new motorhome and I don't have any money, I'm probably not going to get satisfaction on that prayer. God can do anything, amen. But I wouldn't want to start finding a parking space before that motorhome showed up in my house. Because the word for satisfied means complete. He will make them complete. For those who trust in Him, those who know His name, He will make them complete. Scripture says, brothers and sisters, that we have, because of our relationship with our Father in heaven, That we have everything we need. It does not say we have everything we want. It says we have everything we need. So I think it's okay to pray for the motorhome. I don't think you're doing anything wrong. If it doesn't come, God's just saying, well, you didn't need that. I gave you everything you need. That means, careful with this now, that whatever's in your life is what you need. Ooh. I was talking to somebody the other day. He said, I don't need that. I said, apparently you do. I mean, there are things in our life that we don't like, amen? Yeah, you know, we go through hard times. We have a hard time making decisions. We don't like the situations we get in. See, the Jews didn't like their situation. They're surrounded by enemies. They're dying all over the place. The temple's in shambles. The walls are crumbling. Everything that they identified with that made them the people of God is going away. They don't like the situation. God is gracious enough to send them a letter that says, look what you did. There are consequences for what you did. Look around you. You're suffering the consequences for what you did, but I love you. And if you turn back to me and trust me, I'll deliver you from this. I'll preserve you from it. I'll protect you. The reason this is happening is you moved out from under my protection. That's not to say that every time we have trouble that we moved out from under its protection. Well, we've got to recognize that the things in our lives are there for a reason. And God's not sitting on the throne going, I didn't know that happened. Why didn't you tell me? So you're going to bring us to completion. And their relationship, our relationship with God is eternal. It's an eternal promise. It will be eternally completed. Eternally satisfied. So there's our three earthly blessings of faith, the fruits of the faith. God will deliver us. It's very clear. The ultimate blessing of faith. We shouldn't shouldn't take that to mean that God will miraculously deliver all of his children from persecution, from martyrdom, and from disease. Because we're actually told in Scripture that some of us will go through those things. Again, it's interesting, the devil uses verse 11 and 12 in the temptation in Luke chapter 9. Daring Christ to take the verses literally, to test God on his promises, Satan is trying to pervert the scripture. And all, all Jesus does is quote the scripture. He said, don't put your God to the test. That's out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. So, so I'm asking you, don't run around stamping on snakes and kicking lions. It's not a good idea. But still, there's a guarantee here. There's a guarantee that we have as a church, as a church universal, as the church that recognizes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is going to continue to exist. That God's messengers, his proclaimers of the gospel, the conveyors of that blessing to the world, as vessels of grace and mercy, as his agents of love, will continue on. I hear all, I, I, every week there's a new article about, oh, the church is dying, this is happening, this many people are going somewhere else, and this denomination or that faith over there is growing in Christianity. It, it ain't going away, folks. It ain't going away. But indeed, some of us are going to get sick. Some of us are going to suffer hardship. Some of us are going to die. But we need to understand what God's saying here because all of those conditions, brothers and sisters, are temporary. They are temporary. They might feel eternal. It might seem like the long, long dark night of the soul goes on forever and ever. But for believers, none of this is permanent. permanent. All of us who call upon the name of Christ will be resurrected and will live forever with him. Amen? Well, there will be pain in our life. Once we get there, there'll be no more pain, no more death, no more disease, no more sin. Meanwhile, God will protect. God will deliver his church. So that his message will go out into the world. Right up until the moment the new creation is ushered in. So we saw the friends of faith. God promises his helpers in this. He knows that life can be difficult. We saw it in 89 and 90. Of course, the helpers in the Old Testament helped from outside. They were an outside influence. Angels would show up and speak. There'd be words, writing on the walls, fires, all sorts of things. See, things changed with Jesus Christ. When he ascended to the Father, he did it. He said, I got to go there because I'm going to send you a helper. And the whole context of the Old Testament shows that we can't do this on our own. Jesus says, now, if you've learned that lesson over the last 2,000 years, people, I'm going to send you the ultimate helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that will guide you through these things. The Holy Spirit is the one that will keep you on the straight and narrow path. The Holy Spirit is the one who will bring conviction when you need conviction. He's the one who will bring comfort when you need comfort. He's the one who will protect you. I love that. I don't know about you but I'm going to tell you what my problem is. I don't always listen to him. I'll set my eyes on something. Oh, I want that. And the Holy Spirit, is, he's faithful. Amen? He'll go, don't do that. Oh, yeah. I'll go, hey, look over there. <laughs> I, I want to distract him. I want to pretend he's not there. I want to pretend like I didn't hear it. I don't want to. And, and maybe my most favorite Way of avoiding the Holy Spirit is saying, Oh, that verse doesn't apply to me. And the whole time he's gone, Yes, it does. <laughs> so the question is God's given me this helper. Do I listen to him? Do I listen to him? And, and maybe, maybe there's a question after that, because I think if, if we're honest with ourselves, we will admit that sometimes the Holy Spirit's voice sounds a whole lot like our own. Oh, John, just take the money. Nobody will know. Thank you, Lord. So how how do we know when it's our voice and when it's the voice of the Holy Spirit? We have to know the name of our father, brothers and sisters. We have to know who he is. We have to know what he says about himself. We have to read our Bibles. So that when our own voice pops up and says, do this, we can go, you know what? That's not what scripture says. And the Holy Spirit's sitting there going, you got it. You're right. Listen to me. I'll keep you on the straight and narrow. That's why we have these helpers. And the helper lives in us not an outside influence. And and all the promises that we see in this verse, in this this psalm here, hold true to us. He'll guide us. He'll guide us to victory over the dangers, over the obstacles in our lives. Anything we encounter in our walk, all we have to do is listen. Now, once we do that, we begin listening to him, we begin trusting in him. That leads to the fellowship of the faith in our relationship with our father. God promises to satisfy us. Not a promise to give us everything that we want, but to give us everything that we need. A promise to fill us to overflowing with what we need. And what we need, brothers and sisters, most of all is to be closer to God. Closer to God. Have a deeper relationship with him. And once that relationship is forged Everything in Scripture tells us that it can't be undone, that it's eternal, that we'll spend eternity with him. So that leads us back to our question, does faith only count in eternity? Do we have to wait for all this filling and all this satisfaction? No, no. Eternity starts right now. We we can have all these things. We may get sick. We may have struggles or grief or pain, but we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to let him defeat us. We don't have to worry. Nothing can hurt us. Nothing can rob us of our eternal home. Nothing can take away our eternal destiny. Someone may cause momentary harm or pain, but our salvation is secured by what Jesus did on the cross. And all we have to do, loved ones, is to be satisfied with that. Satisfied with what God has given us, believing that it's all we need. Maybe not all that we want, but what we need. And when we get there, happy with what we have, when we get to the point in our life where we are happy with what we have, then we will be filled, we will be satisfied, we will be complete, and God will preserve us and protect us until the moment we stand in glory. It's the promise of Psalm 91. Let's pray. Lord, we have no word other than thanks. We wish there was a a word we could use that expresses our heart's desire to be closer to you. But we say thanks, Father, because we know that we can't even love you unless you love us first. So, Father, help us to trust in you. Let your spirit in us drive us towards you, Father. Father, Hurt us towards you, Lord, that we might be sanctified, that we might walk in a manner worthy of the calling, Father, and that we might enjoy your peace, your joy, your protection, your preservations. God, thank you, because you have promised to deliver us, and you will. And we pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in. We have a special guest speaker next week. Justin Culbertson will be here from Ambassador Bible Church in Centerville. Thank you. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at wbfva.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.